0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match, limited by state law.
1: For the record, Claire Saffitz does not put dried fruit in cookies. Let's just get that clear right now.
0: I just in the past, when I've done it, I haven't liked it, so I just tend to kind of.
1: What if it's an oatmeal raisin cookie? You're just you're just staying away. You're not engaging. Chris, I
0: can't believe you're, you're really touching a third rail
1: here. I just with... I'm just asking. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. This is Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner, or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Now, there is a moment, every cook's journey, where they go from just following recipes to actually cooking. Of course, recipe following is a form of cooking, but it's like driving somewhere with Google Maps. You don't fully know how to get there without that map. Cooking without a recipe is a really exciting step for most home cooks. And when you know how to get where you're going, you can explore a few side roads and still feel confident you'll arrive at your destination.
2: How do I look at that recipe before I spend all the time and energy cooking it and make sure that if I spend all the time and energy cooking it, what I'll get out is a new framework that I can play around with?
1: Yeah. Oof. I mean, this (laughs) is... (laughs) This is it. This is everything, you know. (laughs) I know. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. Maya's a 25-year-old grad student in New York, and she's a pretty accomplished cook. When she wrote to us, she explained that she had a set of meal frameworks, more than a dozen things she really understands how to make, and that she cooks often.
2: You know. I have a way I love to roast chicken. I'm not really looking for a new way to roast chicken on a weeknight. So probably I'm going to end up cooking the chicken the way I already know how and can do without thinking about it. Seared chicken thighs with some starch that you cook in the sauce afterward are clearly having a moment.
1: When you say having a moment, what does that mean? <laughs> Where is like, it having a moment? On what uh, platform might it be having a moment?
2: Would you like me to name the platform? Yes. Um, I I want names. Are- A million recipes on New York Times cooking that are, you know, you sear, you know, four chicken thighs and then you take them out of the pan and then you cook some aromatics in the fat and then you add in a quick cooking grain and then you put the chicken thighs back in the pot and you cover it in liquid and you walk away.
1: Okay. Let me posit a theory. Okay. Ultimately, you want cooking to be pleasurable. And frankly, there's something stressful inherently about like, oh, I've got to follow this recipe. Oh, I'm going to like mise en place, this whole thing out. I've never cooked this thing before. Is that how it should look? Is this how it should look? Mm -hmm. Is this right? You know, whereas like you can enjoy yourself a little bit more when it's like, yep, it's pasta or yep, it's the chicken thighs (laughs) and the thing with the rice, you know, and and away you go. You can like kind of tune out. Exactly. But
2: I think for me, the thing that is a turnoff on a weeknight is cooking outside of the things that I know how to recognize. So I cook a lot of Middle Eastern and like Western European flavors and those sort of frameworks and approaches to cooking I'm very familiar with and I can do without thinking. But as soon as I try to cook like a Korean recipe, for example, I feel confident that I could follow the recipe accurately, but it would take a lot of attention and I Mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily know what I was looking for. And so that's sort of what I'm struggling with because I'll end up with this list of new ideas that I'm excited about. But say I cook one of those a week on a Friday night when I have the time and energy, sometimes what I get out of that is a new framework that I can add into my repertoire. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time I end up with one new recipe that's great and I'll make it once a month or something. Um, So... First of all, I'd love to just hear any of your frameworks or, or any recipes that you cooked once and, you know, you were like, wow, this is going to give me a whole new world of things to experiment with. But then also say I'm going to cook one of these more newer complicated things for me, you know, once a week. How do I look at that recipe before I spend all the time and energy cooking it and make sure that if I spend all the time and energy cooking it what I'll get out is a new framework that I can play around with?
1: It's hard and for me it's like how do I stay inspired, right? Yeah. Like how do I connect with like the joy of cooking like with the part of, you know, like growing up that like saw my dad like literally make one thing a week but mm-hmm. you know turn it into this sort of dog and pony show <laughs> but in a good way, you mm-hmm. know with like Opera blasting and, you know, going for it, like having like literally like a platter of cheese out for the entire duration that he was cooking and all the other little bits of self-care that were folded into the kind of the cooking process for him. But I think, you know, what you're talking about is tricky in terms of like, how do you kind of. Stay inspired and get inspired. But how do you make these recipes your own? Right? And how do you even assess like whether a recipe is offering you a framework for something that you can truly embellish on, that you can riff on? Um, So'm I'm, I'm sitting here, <laughs> I'm literally like thinking, I'm thinking about this because there are, you know, certain combinations that I think just work. Mm -hmm. right, that I think are like broadly appealing. And I don't, and this is like me speaking as somebody who thinks about new recipes and how other people are going to perceive those recipes. Yeah, sure. Meaning, if you offer something up to the world that the world has never seen before, how is the world going to know if it likes it or wants Mm -hmm. to make it, right? So we have to kind of be able to sort of position recipes, not all the time, because sometimes, look, something just comes from a particular context, and you can't try to understand it in relation to something you already know, Mm -hmm, meaning mm -hmm. there's a framework, right? So like spaghetti bolognese, ragu al bolognese, Mm -hmm. you know, some long-cooked meat-based sauce with pasta or a noodle, right? Like everybody, you know, more or less understands this as a frame of reference or pizza, right? Or like Japanese curry or dumplings. There are these things that show up in different places, but within that, there's a lot of room for interpretation. You know, thinking going back to like the the ragu al bolognese sort of framework, well, who's to say what the flavor profile of that meaty sauce might be. Who's to say that there even has to be meat in there? Years ago, we were seeing meatless versions of bolognese with cauliflower, with lentils, Mm -hmm. tofu. You know, there's versions of bolognese that have tomato. There's versions of bolognese that have none. But if you kind of hang a recipe, you know, kind of idea, the inspiration on this archetype, at least people kind of understand the frame of reference because this is how people understand food, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All that to say, we will, you know, talk about actual recipes, but yeah. But I think it's understanding how to blow apart these frames of reference and make them work for you. You know, like yeah. what do you like about a Niçoise salad? You know, right? What do you not like about it? What does it need to do in order for you to register that it is this thing? You know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think maybe what's happening is I'm getting sort of stuck in the flavor profile from whatever cuisine I yes. think that original recipe comes. And then I, if right, right, like this dish is cooked with shallots and garlic and you have it with avocado. And so I sort of think of it as vaguely Mexican and it wouldn't occur to me to add good chijaro, but I could, and that would probably be delicious. Yeah. So maybe that's
1: part of well, my problem. I think, I think there's something really instructive in there. And I think this is helpful, honestly, because I think this this lets me know that like, okay, we can bring some recipes to the table here, but then we can tell you how we'd like break them down. Yeah, that would be fun. This question about frameworks gets to the heart of what we do as recipe developers. How can you take a technique or a dish that people understand, but somehow make it fresh and interesting again, in a way where they're like, "Yeah, I want to cook this"? So to help Maya think beyond her own go-tos, I knew I had to call on one of the best, and her cat.
0: This is Felix, my Felix, my most prized, beloved creature <laughs> in the entire world. <laughs>
1: Felix, literally a black and white cat perched on your shoulders. Like a scarf. Seemingly quite at ease. Yeah, like a Like a
0: stole, but alive, you know? Yes,
1: yes. The feet are kind (laughs) of dangling, but there's (laughs) life there still. (laughs) Claire Saffitz and I were colleagues at Bon Appetit for years. She's an incredible recipe developer, baker, and cookbook author. And extremely down to nerd out about cooking.
0: I mean, I read kind of a summary of her question, which is really kind of a series of questions and almost like a philosophical kind of um, like pondering. And how I immediately reacted was that this is someone who's thought a lot about cooking, which I really appreciate. Someone who thinks critically about what they're doing in the kitchen, the types of foods that they're making, the techniques that they're using. And to me, Maya is poised to really, like she's she's ready to take that step. You know what I mean? Like she's an avid home cook. She's cooking for herself a lot. She has an understanding of, you know, the the techniques and ingredients that she's comfortable with. And so, and she's, she's in a good position to be taking this step, which is kind of the next step in the evolution of being a home cook, which is like going from following recipes to not really following recipes. Yes. So I think it's really exciting and I'm, I'm excited to kind of talk about how we can assist in that next transition for her.
1: That's exactly the situation. And I think too, if there's a recipe that's published somewhere that you think, you know, you might be able to take and say, okay, Maya, here's the base recipe, but here's Mm -hmm. how I would mess with it and kind of give her some verbal instructions in terms of Uh how to break it down and break it apart um, Mm -hmm. and put it back together again, then, you know, that would be great. Okay. All right. Good to know. And so putatively, you know, this is sort of like a competition to the extent that like, you know, often like <laughs> when I have somebody from my team, you know, like sort of suggest a recipe and I suggest a recipe, there's sort of this moment of, oh, well, whose recipe did she choose? Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't usually take that aspect of things like too, too literally, just so right. you know, <laughs> but I just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, you know, so funny. Like,
0: you had kind of mentioned in, Lyra like kind of first talking about this that it was a competition and then I forgot that and it's Mm. so funny because there's nothing that feels further from my like considerations right now in that (laughs) like winning or like beating Chris and this whole thing which is just so funny but okay I can no
1: sometimes people from the food team are just like I will crush you now, behold (laughs) my lineup, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I'm just, I felt like compelled to just say that out loud. And I just, the hope is honestly that we're able to put together like a list of recipes with some ideas that are Mm -hmm. all of service to her, you know, like that's, that's the kind of the ultimate goal here. And for people to understand, like, how are we thinking about this and how can we bring Mm -hmm. somebody along with us? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so excited. So Claire and I went off to brainstorm some recipe templates we could bring in to help Maya expand her weeknight repertoire. After the break, we'll get Maya back on the line to help get her inspired. Hey listeners, Chris Morocco here. If you find yourself in a dinner crisis, the Epicurious app comes to the rescue. Not only will you unlock over 50,000 recipes from Bon Appetit and Epicurious, but you'll also receive daily personalized recommendations based on your unique preferences and dietary needs. Head to the Apple App Store and download the Epicurious app to kickstart your seven-day free trial today. Don't miss out on this culinary adventure. Start your free trial and let the Epicurious app be your kitchen hero Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maya, welcome back. <laughs> it was Thank a little you. bit of a journey to get back here, but our conversation really shook me in a good way. You know, I, and because I feel like we were talking about recipe development and just life in the universe and everything. And I knew I needed to bring in the big guns for this one. And so that is why we're joined here today by Claire (laughs) Staffitz.
0: Thank you for having me. Hello. Hi, Maya. Hi. Such a (laughs) pleasure to meet you. (laughs) You too. I I don't know, Chris, that was a lot of pressure. I hope I could be helpful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're just here to have a fun conversation, seriously. But I, I thought there was something you were speaking to, Maya, which what you're grappling with really speaks to what is at the heart of recipe development and what it means to be a cook who interprets recipes and is inspired by recipes, but not necessarily beholden to them?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So I was so struck, Maya, in reading your questions, and I was Great. so struck by it because what immediately jumped out was like, oh, this is someone who has thought a lot about cooking and thinks about it really critically. I can tell that you cook a lot. I mean, you said that you cook a lot, but it was evident from the way that you approach this set of questions that you have thought really critically about recipes. And that's something that I think Chris and I as recipe developers are always trying to get people to do. Um, Like when I write a recipe, I, I don't really number the steps intentionally, but I do start each step with a kind of bold header that describes what you're about to do. Because the idea is that if you're paying attention to that order of operations and the kind of general, again, framework to use your word, like the individual words kind of fall away and you Mm -hmm. realize like, okay, I understand what I'm doing here. So to see that you're already aware of these kinds of like overarching techniques and, like types of recipes is great. And I feel like we can really help you get to the next step, which is sort of broadening your repertoire and adding new frameworks into your mix, because it is really easy to get stuck in those ruts where you're just sort of like, you're falling back on what you know, because it's familiar and you, I'm assuming like to be in the kitchen, but it it can get a little bit repetitive. So that's why we're here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That sounds perfect. I mean, one of the, just as a, sorry, I just obviously, I'm I'm really into
0: this whole project, but I just, (laughs) Maya, I think, I mean, one thing that stands out to me about you is like your experience and your um, sort of knowledge about cooking is hard earned. And I think that cooking is one of those things that you have to do it a lot to be good at it. And there are no shortcuts really. So it's like the repeated act of like reading a recipe, making it is what is gonna get you to kind of that next level of being able to kind of look at a recipe, have the framework jump out at you, understand what you can change and not change. You're so, you're ready for that next step. And so I'm excited, I hope that we can help you get there.
2: That sounds great, I would love that. Yeah,
1: and I was was gonna say something very similar, which is, you know, to your question, Maya, of like, well, how do you know what ingredients are fair game to pull in when they don't necessarily harken back to the original Sort of context of the cuisine. And to Claire's point, it's like that knowledge is a little bit hard earned, you know? Like yeah. there is no one place you can go to kind of consult. Does this make sense? Like, right. is it obvious that soy sauce and butter just absolutely adore each other? Like, no. maybe not <laughs> yeah. until somebody's like, no, that's a thing, you know? Right you have to accrue this information kind of bit by bit and just sort of stack up those layers so you know what levers you can throw when you're doing, oh, here we go again with the chicken thighs, with the friggin' <laughs> rice and the thing. And yeah. you know, um, but you can see the possibilities in that.
0: Yeah. I just want to say, Chris, to add to your point, and then we can actually like get into some of the sure, things yeah. because we could just kind of like whenever talk around we could noodle around. Right. That kind of <laughs> um accumulation of knowledge which then becomes intuition about what things go together and what you can pair and you know how to make something like just that extra bit of delicious all it comes I think mostly from cooking but a lot of it just comes from eating and eating critically like going to a restaurant and being like and it's not just it doesn't have to be a restaurant outside of your normal kind of um like rotation it could be like oh yeah hamburgers like beef tastes really good with ketchup, you know, like that, that kind of thing. Or when you're out to eat thinking about like, why is this thing so delicious? And then you can kind of get back into the kitchen and play around. So I think it's also about being curious about food, like all the time in every setting where you have that opportunity, um, not just in the kitchen, because it's it presents itself all the time. I think also give yourself a little bit of slack as a home cook that like a lot of what's happening in restaurants is a level of cooking that is one, not practical for Home cook, and two is using ingredients that you also don't have access to as a home cook. So give yourself a little bit of, um, you know, understanding and and grace that like it might might not be exactly the same. But I love thinking about the food that you're eating, what makes it different from the food you're cooking at home, and having these kinds of like little mini revelations where you're like, oh my gosh, that's so delicious. And I would have never done that myself at home, you know?
1: Uh, all right. Well, um, Claire, do you want to get into what you were thinking recipe-wise?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I was sort of thinking about this beforehand and I often go from my gut like literally and figuratively, because I sort of operate, when I'm thinking about what I want to cook, I'm thinking about what I want to be eating right now. Like what is my craving? So lately it's cold noodles. And to me, that's like a great framework is like a cold noodle dish where you can use basically any kind of noodle to a certain extent, you can, there's so many types of dressings. Like my, I immediately think of an East Asian dish that's maybe sesame based or peanut based. um, And you're sort of making this like cold sesame or cold peanut noodle salad. And you're adding, you can add a lot of blanched vegetables, like blanched asparagus that you're mixing in with that and a ton of herbs. Um, So that's a framework is just like noodles of all kinds, particularly cold noodles in, for me, warmer weather. And then in the colder months, switching to like, noodles and broth. I mean, there's a full six months of the year where the only thing I want to eat all the time is noodles and some kind of hot broth. So those to me, like uh, personally are really helpful frameworks. Like I love soba noodles. I love udon. You could do it with a more sort of Italian or Western, like wheat-based noodle. You could poach chicken and shred it and add that to your cold noodles. Yeah. You can do like thinly sliced leftover steak if you have that and, and add that in. And then from there, I think following your established intuition about flavors. Is is there acid? Is there a little bit of sweetness? is it properly seasoned? So it's just kind of picking the flavor profile that you're just like in the mood for and then kind of going from there. And that to me is like a super flexible framework where you probably have like 90% of what you need at home already if you have a well-stocked pantry. And then you're kind of adding stuff in as either you have it and it's leftover or as it's sort of inspiring you because it's like a seasonal produce item.
2: Yeah, that does feel so versatile and with whatever vegetables are in season. That sounds great. Claire, didn't
1: like I'm having a a brain flash of a was it a cold noodle dish that you did that was like a rice noodle dish.
0: Yeah. I'm remembering that I did like an entire cold noodle salad thing story. Right. Yeah. I think and I think it was somewhat modular, where it was like, use this noodle, use this sauce, use this protein. But the point is exactly the point that I'm making, which is that this is a kind of framework and there's so much room within it to sort of interpret and pull stuff in that you A, have to get rid of, or B, like brought home from the grocery store or the farmer's market.
1: Yeah. That sounds
0: perfect.
2: That sounds perfect.
1: Do you want to come in hot with like a second entirely different framework? I have a lot. (laughs) <laughs> we can no, I... we can send them all over to her. Please okay. email them to me. Do you you get three more minutes to pitch framework number two?
0: Okay. I think back to a great story that BA did. Again, this is going back many years, which was a cutlet story. It was like a sort of oh. meat cutlet. I think Alison Roman did it. It was everything was it. so delicious. It and it was like so good. Yeah, a crispy cutlet with a kind of fresh, acidic, crunchy salad to go along with it. So to me, that's like a perfect framework. You can do chicken, you can do. The ch- a chicken thigh cutlet, which would be delicious. You know, just kind of pounding it out. You can leave the skin on, you can do pork. There's so many options. And to then be able to pair it with this like really delicious, crunchy, acidic salad is wonderful. And then when it gets colder and you're kind of leaning more in a comfort food direction, it's like you can add a potato mash or a cauliflower mash or like whatever it is to sort of lean into more of like a german austrian kind of direction which could be really fun and or you know some braised cabbage would be super delicious with it also you can serve it over you can go in a more like japanese direction with katsu and serve it over rice which is like oh all you i can ever make the
1: curry eat. sauce that's all <laughs> i ever want to eat yeah. literally uh, that's the, it from a box which is so from good a box, the japanese curry yeah it's, the curry bricks from snb somehow i've never had it so. oh my god what? it's so good delicious oh got this is what you're making okay no okay, no no this is it because then like in summer you can throw some fruit on there and like you know fruit can kind of star in like a savory turn mm-hmm. you know in like one of these kind of cutlet setups i think yeah, just
0: tomato watermelon feta mint like easily oh, you know
1: so good <laughs> perfect this is more. the new plan i have more okay, though all right you get you get like Two more quick ones. Okay, okay.
0: Well, I'll just I'll just go with the, the next one, and then I'll ground I'll it out there. But also, just All like right. anything, ground meat. I was actually just having this conversation with my sisters this morning. We were on like a group call. And one of my sisters was, she was talking about making hamburger helper for her family, which is like something I've never had in my life and we never ate growing up. And I was like, where did that come from?
1: Where did that come from? But she
0: was saying that like her husband, like loves like a meat slurry, which is a kind of not very like appetizing way of saying like anything ground meat based with, that's kind of saucy that you could put in a lettuce cup. You can put over pasta. I mean, essentially bolognese is like a version of that in a sense. There's larb. You could do it like over thinly sliced cabbage. There's so many mm. ways to take that idea of like either a quick cooked ground meat where you're getting some color on it or you're doing it, you know, more sort of like as a saucy type braised type of thing. You can add so many different kinds of veg to it.
2: Yeah, that's um, a good idea.
0: So that, to me, that's like another framework that I fall back on a lot is like get a pound of ground meat, see what we have, you know, in the fridge kind of languishing and and turn that into dinner basically.
2: It's funny you say that. I haven't thought about that as an option in ages, but my family oh, really? used to make this thing called, we called it Joe's Special. I think it was from a restaurant called Joe's and it was ground beef, thinly sliced crispy mushrooms, egg and spinach all mixed together, wow. which mm. sounds weird, but it was so delicious and definitely a kitchen sink thing. So yeah. that's a good idea.
0: Yeah. I mean, do just made me think of sloppy Joe's, which is, I feel nice. like such a underrated dish is like such a delicious like a great summertime dinner where you can like you know grill some corn and like make some potato salad or that kind of thing basically it's a is a version of that but there's just so much you can do and you can every so many cultures have a version of a kind of like ground meat salad type thing and so you can take it in so many directions you know you can do ground lamb and you can add some cumin and do a sort of like a cumin-y lamb uh western chinese dish inspired um which, you know, you can toss some noodles in with it too. So, so many options there. And it just feels like the perfect kind of weeknight thing because ground meat is just so convenient.
1: Yeah. Talk about like the ultimate blank slate. And also our friend, the Japanese curry brew block, you know, from S&B or Vermont Curry or whatever. I mean, th- just throw in a little bit of water and one of those things on some cooked ground meat. Like you literally just made curry and it is the best thing you'll ever put in your mouth
2: my head is now running also with this like lamb cumin mix oh, and yeah. toss in chickpeas serve it over yogurt mm. like mm-hmm. that all that sounds great
1: um I, so you had mentioned the, um, like the chicken thigh, the much maligned chicken thigh, but I was like, you know, but, but there's something there. And I feel like there's something there to the point that I think in food media and like, you know, at least I can say within BA, there were weeks slash months years where we would say to ourselves, how many times can we show chicken thighs in a skillet, you know, as like a b- sort of bit of visual language you know, in any given year's worth of issues. Like how many times is too much? But I finally found a recipe I was really poking around in the archives. And this recipe is, this is a mouthful. So one pan chicken thighs with burst tomatoes, harissa, and feta. I guess we were like not worried about like length of recipe names at that point. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a recipe from Molly Boz. And it's like, it's that classic setup, right? Like, bone in skin on chicken thighs you sear the skin very deeply you know you sort of invert the the chicken then onto a plate for a sec you throw some cherry tomatoes some harissa etc into the skillet but as a framework the combination of tomato with the chicken and then where you can take that flavor profile because sure you can put the harissa in or you can throw in our soy sauce and butter combination. You could, instead of using harissa, you could use a store-bought curry paste and then throw in some coconut milk to finish. You could combine it with noodles and make it like a big like one pot situation. Um, I, I just, I love the idea of kind of riffing on these flavors, you know, and and just how versatile and and frankly evergreen, you know, you can pretty much always get cherry tomatoes or God help me grape tomatoes, you know, year round. Um, (laughs) 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 Well, listen, this is like at least something to get you going on Maya. And I think more important than what recipe you ultimately choose is kind of what you do with it, you know, and, and how you make it your own, the flavors you bring in, you know, game it out and like push something till it Fails. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying like ruin dinner, but like, honestly, like it's amazing what you can do to something and, and still be within within tolerances for, you know, an acceptable dinner outcome. Absolutely. So we sent Maya off with no rules to make her own riffs on some basic frameworks, cold noodles, cutlets, ground meat, and skillet chicken thighs. After the break, we'll hear what Maya chose to do and how it all went. Did you know that kids eat 1,095 meals every year each? Not even counting snacks. Honestly, being responsible for all those meals kind of sucks sometimes. But we've found a resource that actually helps and is funny too. Didn't I Just Feed You is a weekly podcast about feeding families hosted by two longtime food professionals, Stacey Billis and Megan Splon. These ladies are not afraid to be candid and get real because as working moms, they know how hard it is to feed a family night after night. They joined me on an episode of Dinner SOS, but their show covers this topic week after week. From how to turn nachos into a legit family dinner to the magic of meatballs, solving the afterschool snack problem to the mental load of being the family cook, they talk about it all, offering shortcuts, pro tips, techniques, and recipes along the way. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. New episodes publish every Monday. You can also find Stacy and Megan on Instagram as at didn't I just feed you. Maya, welcome back.
2: So happy to be back.
1: So I hear that you snuck this one in right at the buzzer. Is that true?
2: Indeed. Dinner last night was quite an experience.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, let's roll the tape.
2: So I was really excited by Claire's suggestion of a crispy cutlet framework. So what I'm thinking is I'll make four very similar or identical crispy chicken breast cutlets and then experiment with different ways I can apply that framework.
1: Wow. (laughs) How did it go?
2: It went really well. It was such a blast, honestly. I loved our idea of a crispy cutlet as a framework, and I thought chicken was sort of the easiest to apply in a bunch of different ways. And we had talked about the idea of chicken katsu curry, which I loved. So I wanted to start there, and then I sort of thought about Different things that I could do that might be really different from that, and sort of highlight the fact that this is a really versatile approach to dinner. So, I did one really simple just with panko and the breading and a little crispy side salad, sort of inspired by um, the recipe that you guys sent or the sort of Bon Appetit guide for a crispy cutlet framework. And that was really delicious. I just did um, fennel and some slices of orange and salt and pepper and olive oil and vinegar, and it was really delicious. And then I wanted to experiment with putting some stuff in the breading. So I made a sort of classic chicken parm with Parmesan in the breading, made a really simple tomato sauce and just broiled it with mozzarella. That Ooh. was so delicious. And then I was also thinking about our conversation about being inspired by meals we'd eaten out. And there's a dish at a restaurant near my childhood home that is essentially a crispy chicken cutlet over sort of a Vietnamese inspired, I think inspired is the key word, um, sort of slaw situation with... Um, like a peanutty fish sauce vinaigrette and um you know red cabbage and peanuts and lots of fresh herbs. So I looked at that menu and did my best to sort of recreate that salad and then put some desiccated coconut in the breading for that chicken. Oh. Um it was so fun. I have some photos and I don't know if there's any way to show you guys.
0: I just I just pulled it up. I'm looking at it right now. The coconut is so inspired. I love these ideas. Oh, I feel like wow. you really took the spirit of this whole concept and ran with it in a way that I wouldn't have even imagined. But first of all, the cutlets look excellent. They look really, really good.
2: They were harder than uh, I was expecting to get really even color. So a few of them have some dark spots, but otherwise... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's very normal. I mean, you would have to use so much oil as to essentially deep fry them to get that perfectly even golden brown because that that darkening happens when it's in contact with the bottom of the pan. So that's Got very it. normal. Um, Chris, it makes me think of that recipe from pietro's which oh is my like, god uh, great <laughs> i love that you
1: remember that
0: <laughs> yeah that was we did a chicken parm recipe from the restaurant pietro's in midtown east which is like a classic red sauce place and they sent us the recipe and chris you tested it right <laughs> <I> Did. <laughs> and you basically have to slide this oh my god <laughs> this trash can lid sized pounded out chicken cutlet into a not even a tall skillet <laughs> of 400 degree oil and it was like oh my god
1: Just even laying it in, you like, I like, I signed a waiver, you know what I mean? It's just like, (laughs) anything could happen. Like, this is why buildings burn down because idiots like make stupidly large chicken cutlets inside of them. And then like an hour later, like ashes, you know?
2: (laughs) Right.
0: So we, we, we want to avoid that scenario, which is is, feels like your life is on the line a little bit. So you were right to, to, I think probably not go that route, but the
2: execution looks great. It was really fun. I, yeah, I just went sort of normal sized cast iron shallow fry instead of a sort of trash can lid sized approach. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it was, it was really fun. I think. Um, And obviously on a normal evening, I would make one of
1: these for four people
2: instead of four different dinners. Um, but it was it was really fun the curry is so delicious had never had it before and it was great
1: i'm just very impressed that like you got down to the level of the breading in terms of how you modified it Because, you know, I think like it's not essential that you do that, but I just think it's so interesting that you got that granular with your kind of the direction of your flavors.
0: I think that idea of flavoring the breading along with the other flavors that you're incorporating into the entire dish also just really speaks to the idea that this is a framework. This is a kind of roadmap to something super delicious where you have this kind of central crispy protein and then you can create all these sort of other satellite. Um, sort of like accompaniments to it and it's so adaptable by the time of the year like now we're kind of getting into the height of summer so the Japanese curry might be something you keep in your pocket for winter when it's like you get into sort of more comfort food frame of mind and then but having your kind of like crunchy green, raw salady slaw things as an accompaniment too is so perfect. So it's just it really is that adaptable. It's just really fun. And it looks
2: it looks really phenomenal. yeah, it was it worked really well. I think they felt like really different dinners, which was sort of a cool surprise given that they were all fundamentally the same thing. So yeah, it was a great suggestion. Thank you so much fantastic. Yeah. i'm I'm so glad you tried it.
1: yeah. talk to us more. how What was the reaction of the people who also tried these?
2: It was really positive. Um, you know, the salad I've attempted to recreate once before and I think my roommate and I both felt like this was an improvement. Um, so that was fun. And otherwise I think everyone felt like the curry was a real home run and it felt so different from, you know, my take on chicken parm, which was sitting right next to it. So It was really cool. I think one thing that I didn't sort of experiment with as much in this particular version as I had hoped was sort of bridging ingredients from different cuisines. I didn't sort of push the boundaries as much within each of these cuisines as I could have, I think because I was trying to sort of see how many different sets of flavors I could get into with this one meal, but it was something I was trying to think more critically about as I was cooking. You know, I, I thought about putting fish sauce in the egg wash, for example, which is something that I haven't tried before, but seems like it would be really delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep just asking myself those questions as I go and hopefully find combinations that work well, even if they don't obviously go together for me. I'm going to definitely try to keep all of these things in mind and excited to work through some of the other suggestions that you guys gave. And I'm so appreciative and I think it'll really help sort of fix the the place I was stuck in and hopefully for other people as well. So thank you so much. Yeah. yeah our pleasure, Maya. Thank you. And Chris, I have a final question. Yeah, go. Did I win?
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yes, you won.
2: <laughs> I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> Not that it's a competition. But Not just... that it's a
1: competition. <laughs> right. But yeah. If you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. You can find the recipes mentioned on today's episode on the Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the app store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Dinner SOS is a Conde Nast Entertainment original podcast. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co host this week is Claire Saffitz. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Leah Kasher is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our studio engineer. Amar Lal makes this episode. Next week, we help listener John achieve the perfect spaghetti and meatballs. My mom, I guess, had a recipe, it wasn't hers originally, for spaghetti sauce. I hated it. It was terrible. Never liked it. it. Tasted very watery, tasted very bland, and it was always something that I wanted to make. I was expecting you to say TikTok. Like, oh. so New York Times, I can deal with all day, but I like, I keep hearing about like, oh no, what people are doing is they're looking at TikTok for recipe content and then they're like copying out recipes based on what they're seeing. And I'm like, but we already did that for you. We have them, they're all written up, ready to go. You just start cooking. Here at Dinner SOS, we love tackling your kitchen issues what if I told you there's a way to rescue dinner before it turns into an emergency? With expert insights from the Test Kitchen, cooking and entertaining tips, and a treasury of over 50,000 recipes, Bon Appetit and Epicurious are your lifelines to rescue any meal. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off an annual digital subscription, including access to the user-friendly Epicurious app. Just use code SOS20 at bonappetit.com. That's sos S two zero for a 20% discount on an annual digital subscription to Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Happy cooking. And don't worry, I'll still be here if your dinner plan self-destructs.